We're in 1 Samuel chapter 21 today. And in this chapter, David is fleeing from King Saul. Saul is out to kill him. David has lost every means of support that he can possibly have. His wife, his job, the good opinion of people. David has no one that he can depend upon. He needs help, he needs support, he needs protection. Now where would you go if you lost everything? How would you regroup? You ever thought about that? Here's Dan thinking about what would happen if the queen were, you know, a good buddy? Would she call me all that often? Well, think about this. What would happen if you just lost everything? Boom, it's wiped out. And you still have needs. What would you do? Where would you go? Well, David here goes to the house of God where he receives everything he needs. But even then, even then, the house of God doesn't supply all his needs. And David goes out and makes a terrible mistake, puts him into great danger. He looks for refuge in the wrong place. But what we find is there is a place where God even takes care of us when we goof. When we make a decision that puts us in terrible danger and trouble. And this is where God teaches David about a place of security and safety that's even better than the house of God. And the best part about it is it's not in a place. David learns to take refuge in the Lord himself. So, I'm reading in chapter 21, and I'm gonna pronounce the names wrong. I just decided in advance, I'm going to, okay? So everybody just lighten up. There's only one person here who can get all the Hebrew names right, and he's not up here today. So that's it. Now, short of pouring gasoline on myself and lighting a match, that's the best I can do. Let us move on. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business you're on or what I've commanded you. And I've directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever, you can be, whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there's no common bread on hand, 
But there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. So here's David in need. And he goes to this place, Nob. And we've already seen in 1 Samuel about how the house of God was originally at a village called Shiloh. And God was continually speaking to the priests there, especially the high priest Eli, you guys need to repent. Or I'm going to wipe this place out. And Eli did not repent. And so God sent in the Philistines and completely leveled that place. And evidently the priests regrouped at this village called Nob and it was in the land given to the tribe of Benjamin. It was nearby Gibeah where Saul had his headquarters. So here's David fleeing from Saul. He has no place to go, but it comes into his mind, the house of God. Maybe I can get help there. And he's probably praying, please, God, help me. Help me. Now what David first receives at the house of God here is maybe not something he's even thinking about. But it's something he needs. And what he needs is mercy and grace. Now he shows up at this place in an unusual way. And Ahimelech notices it immediately. Because David is an official of the king. He's the commander of a thousand soldiers. And as such, he would show up with his staff, the guys, dressed for the occasion. You know what I mean. And here he is, all by himself. And Ahimelech is saying, uh, there's something wrong here. This is not right. This is off. And he notices. So he goes, what's going on? What is the matter? And David says, well, it's top secret. Hush, hush, 
You know what I mean. And the king says, don't tell anybody about it, so, you know. Now, Himmler could say, you know, that stinks. That's right up there with my dog ate my homework. Tell me the real story. What is going on? But you know, he leaves it at that. That's mercy. But then he goes on and gives David grace. Because David asks for food. And Himmelich goes, we don't have anything like that. I mean, we just don't. All we have is the showbread right now. And that's the showbread, the bread of the presence. It is special. It's holy. It's part of the worship of God. When you're in the holy place, you walk in, you've got the lampstand of God on the left. It's always supposed to be lit and sending out light into the place. On this side is the table of the presence where the showbread is. Twelve loaves of bread symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel. And the thing about a grain offering is it's labor intensive. Everything that goes into making a loaf of bread, you gotta plant wheat, you gotta cultivate it, you gotta harvest it, you gotta thresh it, you gotta grind it, then you gotta mix it, you gotta bake it, Okay, so that it's a lot of work. And it symbolizes your activities. And when you offer a grain offering, you're offering all that you do up to the Lord as worship. Now here are 12 loaves of bread symbolizing all the activity of the nation of Israel, being in the presence of God as worship, that's what it symbolizes. Now, the law of Moses says that only a consecrated priest may eat this bread. It was supposed to be in the presence of the Lord for seven days and then replaced with new loaves. And the priests were to take that bread of the presence and eat it in a holy place. So, nobody else. And when David asks, Ahimelech says, as long as you guys are holy, that you're consecrated, go ahead and take that. And David says, yeah, that's the way we keep things around here. When we go out on a mission, we consecrate ourselves because we want the Lord with us. We can never afford to go out not having consecrated ourselves before the Lord. We want every mission to succeed. So this is the practice of David. So he says, yeah, we're okay. Now, Himelech is going far beyond what the law of Moses says. 
It doesn't even say you can do this in an emergency. So we're out in different area here. But you know, the law and what it commands is the love of God. That's what the law is all about. It is the proper relationship of man to God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. But it's also the relationship to other people, and that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the spirit of the law demands compassion to the needy. Here's what it says in 1 John 3, 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And that makes sense, doesn't it? So here's the mind of God as expressed in the law. He desires mercy. That's what he wants. And Ahimelech giving David the bread of the presence is meeting that need in a way that is consistent with God. Even though it might break a part of the ceremonial law. It turns out mercy is better than sacrifice. And so here's David at the house of God, first of all, getting mercy, second of all, getting grace and compassion. Now, the house of God also supplies David with abundant food. I looked up what is involved in making the bread of the presence, and it says that the kind of size of a loaf it was had 18 cups of flour in it, or 4.4 liters, roughly around like that. Think of four cartons of milk, you know the UHT stuff, boxed milk? Every loaf has that much flour in it, and there's 12 of those loaves. You've ever eaten anything that big in your life? The rule in life is do not eat anything bigger than your head. And each of these loaves are ginormous. In fact, they had to stack them in trays. The table in its dimensions was not big enough to contain 12 loaves of these size. So David says, got anything? Anything? A bagel? And Himelech says, here, you can have 12 of these right here. And David goes, okay, that's good. This is bread like no other. This is not baked for you. This is baked for God. It's the finest flour. And in the finest baking, it's in the presence of God. And now you get to eat something that only the consecrated priest may eat. Is that bread like no other? 
That's pretty amazing supply there. So that's way beyond what David was thinking about or asking for. He just said, do you have anything? And the answer he gets is a holy abundance from God. But you notice here, verse 7, this, this is where the soundtrack for the chapter starts playing the theme from Jaws. All of a sudden, the camera switches to Doeg the Edomite, and you hear this, Ba-dun. Ba-dun. And Doeg looks up, and he's got this look on his face. Maybe not. But what is that doing there? That's because anybody can go into the house of God. Even this guy who was not an Israelite. He's from the nation of Edom. And as that goes, Edom is not very friendly to Israel. But here is an Edomite working for Saul. He's the chief of his herdsmen. And it says here, he was detained before the Lord. You know what detained means? That means I want to go, but I can't. Kind of like when you do something wrong after school or during school, and then you are detained. I want to go play with my friends. You can't. You have to stay here. Well, that's a drag. We don't know what it was, but I would think it not likely that Doag was fulfilling some vow of devotion to the Lord. Some commentaries will have stuff like that in there. Not this guy. He's not that kind of guy. It could be something to do with supplying the priests with the herds that they need in order to do the daily sacrifices and the, and the worship in the house of God. Maybe it's some business and it's taking too long and he's going, ah, I don't want to be here, but I'm here. And so David sees him and he knows, I cannot stay here. There's no refuge for me. Like this would be a place that Saul would never go to on his own normally. He did not seek the Lord. And that's one of the things that David says when he brings the ark to his city, Jerusalem, later. He says, we didn't inquire at it in the days of Saul. So maybe David was thinking, you know what? If I just hide here where Saul would never go, nobody's going to talk about it. Maybe I can get away with this. But Doeg is there. He goes, no way. I can't stay here. i got to get out of here. So the next thing David asks for, weapons. Because he's defenseless. He has nothing. And so he asks this outrageous question to the, the high priest in the house of God, uh, you got any weapons? 
Can you imagine a hymn like going, well, you know, we're not exactly in the making war business here, you know, we're, we're priests. We, we do God, but we don't do attack. So what are you thinking, David, saying, got any weapons around here? And yet he does ask. Isn't that crazy? And what is crazier still is that there is a weapon in the house of God. And not just any weapon. That is, it's a sword like no other. It's not just a sword, it is the sword. It's the finest sword that David has ever seen. It would be like walking into church and there's Aragorn's sword that was forged again, just laying around. Excalibur. You need a sword? I got Excalibur right over here. I just think it's amazing. And you know, Ahimelech reminds David how it even got there. He says, you remember that time when you went out with no armor, no sword, no shield to face Goliath and you had these five little rocks and your sling and you went out there all by yourself and the guy's nine and a half feet tall and you're just a little kid and you said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts whose armies you have blasphemed. And in the name of the Lord, I am going to kill you and take your head off you and give the dead bodies of your armies to the birds so they can eat them, that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel. Remember, David? Now, you know, David already knew that. But it's interesting how in the house of God, you get reminded about stuff you already knew, but it's the timing. It's the timing of it that is so interesting. Because right now, David is feeling like an endangered species. They get me, I'm the last one. I'm gone. And what Ahimelech is saying is, Nah, you were even more defenseless the day you killed Goliath. You're just this little skinny kid. And God helped you. Maybe Ahimelech is saying this and doesn't even know what he's saying. Because it works like that a lot. I know that I speak in a certain way when I'm teaching and I'm meeting somebody's needs, I don't even know about it. I will talk to somebody afterwards and they will say, how did you know? And I'll answer, I didn't. I was oblivious, I didn't know, but guess what? God knows. And he led me to speak in a certain way and it met your need and you already knew that, but you needed to be reminded again 
Isn't that amazing? So, you wouldn't expect it, but there is a weapon in the house of God for you. Even in this place. And we don't have much here. But there's a weapon here. This is another way to think about the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is something that feeds and satisfies your soul. But it's also a weapon. And you know, a weapon, the way David is thinking about it, is for defense. That is, when somebody's coming at you, you deflect. You turn away the attack. And the Word of God can do that. You know, Greg has been telling me about him going out on uh, Speaker's Corner. And he's talking to people of other religious faiths who are getting in his face. And he's told me, you know, they'll talk about stuff. And I realize, my goodness, Rob just talked about that. He just talked about that. I know what to tell him. And he'll see it. And he says, that's weird. And I go, well, Perry. Thrust and Perry. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen lightsaber battles. You know how they go. Well, that's one way that the house of God provides a weapon. I know what to say when this guy says that thing to me. But then you know, the sword of the Spirit is also for offense, attack. Not to take off somebody's head, just to get them in the heart. Because you can say that word that will pierce to the heart. And see, the reason why Paul in Ephesians 6 calls it the sword of the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit uses, directs, leads, guides, and you say a certain word, and again, you don't know, but that goes right to somebody's heart. And so, here is an all-purpose weapon that you find in the house of God. And you know, there is nothing else like it. Nothing else like this word of God that can deflect the thrust. You know, you think about Acts chapter two, and the Holy Spirit has just come upon the disciples and they're out on the street and they're praising God in different languages. And people are looking at him going, what does this mean? And some smart Alex are saying, well, they're drunk, you know. They're whooping it up. And this is insignificant and stupid. And Peter gets up. And he uses the sword of the Spirit to deflect that and says, no, it's too early to get drunk. This is what the prophet Joel talked about. And 3,000 people get saved. 
But then, again, you can also speak to somebody in such a way so that the word of God is that hammer that breaks a hard heart. And it's a fire that burns. It's a sword that pierces even hard hearts. It's a weapon like no other. So David gets supplied and then he has to leave. He needs refuge. So let's look at verse 10. It says, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart, was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane, why have you brought him here? Have I need of madmen? That you've brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so David got away. Now, here's where David makes a real mistake. It's a bloop. He thought it was a good idea. He's got supplies, he's got a weapon, but he needs refuge. He can't stay at the house of God. That's, that's not going to happen. So he has to go somewhere. So he thinks, okay, all kind of Hebrews are working for the Philistines. So maybe what I can do is just go and blend in. Dark glasses, pull my hat down over my eyes, and just blend in with the wallpaper. And hopefully nobody notices. But then they do recognize him. This is where fame is not all that great. Because somebody starts thinking and goes, what was that guy's name again? David? David? You know the, you know the songs that they're singing? Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Is that David? The David? That's him? And David goes, that's not, not me. But it's not working, see? And everybody's going, that's David? And he's starting to feel like, whoa, this is not good. And he's super afraid. And there's nobody to blame but himself. This fabulous idea just is blowing up in his face right now. And so... He does a really desperate thing. He pretends to be crazy. And he goes all out. He's drooling. He's doing weird things. And, you know, mental sciences are not so well understood at this point in world history. This is way before all the psychologists. And they weren't even sure if this stuff is catching. Do you know what I mean? It's like, if I keep him around here, am I going to go that way too? I don't think so. You know, do I have enough crazy guys already? I need one more. 
Will you get this guy out of here? I shun you. And it works. And they kick him out. And David runs. Now, God saved David. And it doesn't look like it here, does it? It looks like David just pulls a fast one on the Philistines and outthinks them, and he's crafty, and he walks away going, ha, me and Jason Bourne, me and Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. But then he wrote Psalm 34, which we read earlier. And David isn't saying, hey, God, I'm so smart. I solved my own problem. I got out of the Philistines all by myself. Aren't I something? No, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And he says, this poor man cried out and you heard me. You saved me. See, David didn't walk away from the Philistines and say, I've got a fabulous idea for a song. He wrote Psalm 34 much later after thinking about it because the incident didn't go away. He kept thinking about it, meditating on it, and the Holy Spirit gave him wisdom and showed him, do you know what? You were afraid. You were scared to death. You were praying your brains out. And God heard. So, David learned, even from this situation, that God was with him and he made a mistake and God saved him. This wasn't the house of God. This wasn't where you get all your needs fulfilled. This was a stupid place. He could have got killed. But God helped him anyway. That's because God is with him. So remember in Psalm 34 where it says, the angel of the Lord encamps all around him who fears him and saves him. He realizes, I've got a refuge. I have a refuge and it's not a place. In fact, this is a refuge that is with me wherever I go. That's better. Now, I'm marveling because I am the last guy in the world to tell you that the house of God is insufficient for your needs. Because I like church. I think it's a fabulous place. And I think it does everything that God means it to do. Because when you hear the word of God, it feeds you, it satisfies you, it strengthens you. And I believe that the word of God is the weapon that you need to defend yourself and also 
to go on the offensive. And by that, I mean, you know, we live in a rough and tumble world. And we need to know what to say to people at the right time. But at the same time, church is a place, isn't it? Us gathering together is a special time, but it's all together in one place, and then for the rest of the week, we're not here. We're out there. And we cannot avoid reality and just huddle in here and pretend that the rest of the world doesn't exist. And we're not even supposed to. If we have that kind of mentality where we just pretend that I'm not here, I'm not here. That's not what God's looking to do in us, through us. So I cannot believe I'm saying this with my own mouth, but there is a drawback to church. And that is you can't take it with you. What you need is a refuge that goes with you. And that is the presence of God. Now, David found the refuge he looked for in God himself. There's not another time when David can get to the house of God to protect himself. That, that option no longer exists. From here on in, David is seeking the guidance of God. Shall I go to this place? Yes, okay. Shall I stay here? No. They're going to turn you over. You need to get out of there. That's his security. And not any place. And yet, when he's in the will of God, he's secure. Because God is watching over him. The righteous cry out, he writes, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. How does he know that? Because he experienced it over and over and over. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. How does David know that? Because he experienced that discouragement, that broken heart, that being on the floor, this, oh, I don't like any of this. And God heard him. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. How did he figure that out? Because I'm the original affliction poster child. All 12 months, there's my face. I'm in another crisis. But guess what? I'm saved every month to go to the next crisis. Not dead yet. The Lord delivers him out of them all. You know what? That's, that's valuable. Are you in another crisis this week? Looks like the Lord's going to have to save you. It's up to the Lord. 
Well, the secret, the secret of entering this refuge of the Lord is to fear him. To fear him. And what that means is committing yourself to him and to say, you know what? You are the Lord. If I live, that is your will. If I die, that is your will. But whether I live or die, I am yours. And that's one of the prayers in Psalm 119. I am yours. Save me. So as, as you commit to the Lord, you say, okay, now it's on him. It's up to him. It's whatever he wants. If he wants to save me, then I will be saved. By this I know that you are pleased with me because you have not let my enemies prevail over me. I'm not dead yet. So he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There's no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. The best refuge is the one that goes with you everywhere you go. So let's seek the Lord now, shall we? Let's pray. We want to thank you this morning that you have the best refuge there is and the best supply for all of our needs. And it's in your presence. And we want to be clothed in your presence. We're so thankful for church. We are. We don't know what we'd do if we didn't have one, and yet the days might come when we don't get to meet. It's not so crazy. Now, while we can still meet, Heavenly Father, please show us and teach us to take refuge in you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Teach us to say that. And help us to live in your presence. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.